Work-related deaths are common in Japan. The Japanese word for describing this phenomenon is karoshi. According to BigThing.com, death from overwork has been a recognizable social problem in Japan since the 1970s. As Kevin Dickinson explains, Japanese culture values hard work and long hours above all. Colleagues who live earlier aren't seen as serious about their job and are viewed as lacking diligence and loyalty. Adapting to one of the most intense work cultures in the world is not easy, especially for foreigners. Although everyone has different experiences, I think that my fellow foreigners living in Japan can agree with me that the intensity of work here takes a toll on your mental health. In my case, adapting to Japan's lifestyle, especially work culture, has been a long and painful process that I am still trying to make peace with. The lack of work-life balance, the strict rules that you need to follow, and the formality of the work environment end up being exhausting, not only for foreigners, but also for Japanese people. Welcome to Portraits of Life in Japan. This is your host, Monclu Caroline. I arrived in Japan on August 8th of 2022. Since then, I've worked for three companies in Tokyo and Saitama. Only one week after arriving for the first time at Haneda Airport, I only lasted four days. Yes, you heard me right. Four days at my first job in Japan. Let me explain the reason why I quit so quickly. I got a job as an English teacher and physical instructor at a small company. I had several workmates from different countries and we mainly communicated in English. The job itself was simple. We prepared the English lessons and then the physical activities we would do with the kids and then traveled to different gyms across Tokyo and Saitama to do our job. We had to take all the sports equipment with us inside suitcases and bags as if we were going to the airport. And then after arriving at the gyms, clean everything before using it and then set up the sports goods. After that, we gave the lesson and played with the kids. And when we were done, we had to pack all the sports equipment again inside the suitcases and clean the gym for a second time before leaving. After that, we had to keep working on the train on our way back to the office. We even had meetings on the train and had to write reports on our phones. After coming back to the office, we had more meetings and kept working. Aside from working, there were a lot of domestic chores, including taking out the trash bags in the office, cleaning the restroom, cleaning the kitchen, vacuuming, mopping, cleaning out dirt from desks, changing light bulbs, ironing our uniforms, printing, cutting and putting logos on uniforms, folding the kids' soccer t-shirts and the list goes on. So we not only had to clean the gyms that we arrived at, and we could arrive at different gyms during the day, but we also had to clean the office. On top of that, we had to design flashcards, print them and laminate them. And this is the thing about Japan's work culture that I realized. Companies in Japan rarely hire people to clean, so we'll have to clean the office. So when a Japanese company hires you, although it's not written down on the contract, 
socially, you're already agreeing to be a part of the team, which also includes cleaning together. I come from a country where it is very affordable to hire cleaning staff. I was privileged enough to have a person in my house who cooked and cleaned for me and my family every day. In Colombia, all companies hire cleaning staff, so I was very surprised to find out that in Japan, only wealthy people can afford such services. You can now understand how overwhelmed and frustrated I felt with all the domestic chores that needed to be done in the office. On the other hand, I got dizzy working on the train while listening to my bus in Japanese and replying in English. Imagine having to work on a crowded train, carrying suitcases and being in an uncomfortable space while at the same time you need to write down a report on your cell phone. It was so hot during the summer that I almost fainted many times. It was physically and mentally exhausting. Only four days were enough for me to realize that such a life wasn't a good fit for me. Today, I'm going to talk about what is it like to work for a Japanese company as a foreigner. But just before we do that, I need to tell you and give you a reminder that if you're ready to discover Japan through a new lens, you can subscribe to Portraits of Life in Japan to get noticed when I post a new episode. You can also find this podcast in any podcast app on the planet, including, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon. Plus, make sure to follow Portraits of Life in Japan on Instagram to keep updated with this podcast. Remember, being true to ourselves is our greatest strength. If we're talking in depth about the work culture in Japan, I need to confess something. Reading the studies and the articles related to death by overwork and depression in Japan breaks my heart. The reason is that there is one person I know that I suspect committed suicide for this reason. The person who trained me to become an ALT, assistant language teacher, was a man from Hawaii who had worked for several years in Japan. He was in his 40s and although he trained me alongside a small group of English teachers online for a short time, I really got to know him as a person. The first time I met him, he asked all of us to introduce ourselves with one interesting fact. I remember what he said. He said that he survived the attack of a tiger once. I always wanted to ask him to tell me the full story, and I regret I didn't. He worked for seven years at the company I was part of. To be honest, I don't know the true reason behind his death. Nonetheless, at the beginning of this year, I received an email from the company. A colleague close to him let us know that he suddenly quit after working at that company for seven years, which raised concern since he had a high-ranking position and was pretty good and committed to his job. A couple of days later, after he quit, the company received the news of his death. Although in the email the company didn't explain the cause of his death, by reading it, it was clear that 
there was a high chance that he took his own life. I remember how cheerful and optimistic he was. I remember him telling us he was a father. He seemed to be doing great, but I guess you never know what someone is going through. Why do I suspect that being overworked was one of the reasons behind his death? Let me describe how busy he was. While he was training us, all of us had our cameras turned on and we all could see that he was usually outside, traveling somewhere inside Japan for a meeting. When I say traveling, I mean that he was at the train station, walking around or waiting for his train to arrive while training us. Other times he was walking on the streets, going somewhere for a meeting, struggling with teaching us and finding a place to charge his laptop at the same time. While we were preparing our demo lessons, he would turn off his mic with his camera still turned on and start picking up calls. He looked so busy that I felt sorry for him. After all, he had to work in such extreme conditions. What I'm describing now explains why overtime work is so common in Japan. Because there is not enough time to complete the high quantity of tasks that are assigned to only one person. On the other hand, he was in charge of the ALTs across Japan, so he was available 24-7. Why would a foreigner teacher need to call him at 2am, you might be wondering. Well, the company provides cars to commute to work, especially when the schools are located in remote locations. As a result, If a foreigner teacher is pulled over by police at any time during the day, they need to call the person in charge of them. This way, our trainer could speak in Japanese with the police officer and fix the issue. In other words, the company hires foreigners outside of Japan, brings them here, and takes care of them in many senses. The ALTs don't necessarily need to know Japanese to work here. That's why when the ALTs need to speak Japanese for a serious matter, the company takes full responsibility. And who was the one in charge of the ALTs outside of working hours on top of his busy schedule? My Hawaiian trainer. The story of how I ended up quitting my first job in Japan and the story of the work routine of my Hawaiian trainer have one thing in common. Both stories portray Japan's work-intensive lifestyle. All of this brings us to one question. Why do people in Japan work so hard? Kevin Dickinson explained the historic reason behind this work-intensive lifestyle. He wrote, After the collapse of the Japanese economic bubble in the 90s and the subsequent global recession, Japanese companies aimed to reduce costs through layoffs and corporate restructuring. The workforce continued to shrink as population numbers declined and Japan's baby boomers aged out of the workforce. The labor shortage and dwindling productivity led to intense demands and pressures being put on the workers who remained. These demands included long hours, but also intense workloads and social stressors. By 2004, as much as 12% of the population was working 60 hours or more per week. 
Yo Hei Tsunemi, a lecturer at the Chiba University of Commerce, told the world, In Japan, people are working overtime because it's too much work for one person to handle. What needs to happen is that we have to cut down on the volume of work that needs to be tackled and also improve the employer-employee relationship. Okay, now let's take a look at the statistics. According to Sipto, Japanese workers spend more than 2,000 hours per year on average at their jobs, one of the most in the world. This is why I think that it's very difficult to take care of people's mental health in this country when the majority is forced to work under such extreme and exhausting conditions. As pointed out by the world, Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor and Welfare classify Karoshi as the sudden death of an employee who works more than 80 to 100 hours of overtime a month. The most likely causes are heart attack, stroke or suicide. On top of that, these statistics stress that research conducted in 2011 shows that Japanese workers typically get 10 days off of annual leave, but take only half of it. When I worked at a high school and then at a nursery, both companies gave me a calendar with all of my work days during one year. Both companies suggested me that I should only take five days off during one year and I should save the other five days for the times I get sick. It was depressing for me to see one year reduced to one piece of paper showing a calendar which reminded me that I only had 10 days off during the 365 days of the year. I thought it was only me who felt bad about this. But at my latest job at the nursery, I realized that Japanese people also struggle with this. For example, if an employee takes their paid leave during a month that's very busy for the company, this person is going to be seen as selfish and not loyal by their peers. I remember when one teacher at the nursery got sick. She kept coming to work, although she felt really bad. And when she asked for only one day off because she had fever, she came back the next day, still feeling bad, with a box full of candies apologizing for her absence. And this thing that I described is very common in Japan. The thing about this 10 days leave is that you cannot predict how many times you will get sick during one year. Also, in theory, you're allowed to take your 5 days off whenever you want, but the truth is that the majority takes them during summer or winter vacations because this is a time where everyone takes their vacation and they don't want to be a burden for their workmates. And this is a thing I struggle a lot with Japanese culture. They care a lot about what others may think of them. I have seen several times Japanese people prioritizing work and the company over their own well-being. I was seen as selfish for taking my whole lunch hour break. When I was working at a high school, one time, one Japanese teacher approached me during my time when I was eating and she asked me with a very concerned face, do people in Colombia take the full one hour to have their lunch break? I knew this teacher and she was very kind. I know it's difficult for you to think she wasn't being sarcastic, but trust me, it was just an innocent question for her. I just replied, yes, lunch is 
very important in my culture. I didn't want to explain her that in all of our contracts, including hers, it's written down that we can take one hour to rest during our lunch break. But in Japan, and this is what I have seen, people eat very fast and then keep working even if they are during their lunch break. Many of them only eat one piece of bread or one rice bowl very quickly and then start working immediately. The lack of work-like balance is something they are used to. Even worse, many take their lunch break on their desk so they feel the pressure to keep working. As you can see, Japan is a paradise for workaholics. There are so many stories that I want to share with you, but by now, let's keep it short. I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of working for Japanese companies and the rules I had to follow. We'll be right back. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Portraits of Life in Japan. Thanks to you, my dear global citizen, this amazing project keeps growing. That's why I am very excited to announce that Portraits of Life in Japan exclusive membership is now available. I will give a shout out to everyone who supports me on Patreon, plus other benefits. To get more details about this membership, please click the link on the description of this episode and join my Global Citizens community. Your support means everything to me. Now, let's get back to the episode. Ejibel.com wrote a complete article, very balanced, regarding the pros and cons of working in Japan. So I am going to read for you what they had to say about this. The first thing I'm going to mention, it depends on your perspective, but for me at least has been a con of working in Japan. Collectivist and not individualistic. While the Western work culture is more individualistic, the Japanese work culture is collectivist. For example, being hired by a Japanese company is akin to joining a family. You all work in the same space and keeping harmony in the workplace is essential to business and individual success. In Japan, the focus is always on the group rather than the individual. There is always an expectation to put the group's success ahead of individual accomplishments. Therefore, group harmony is always vital to the culture of Japanese society. In Western countries, an individual will be praised for independently solving issues. However, Japanese companies view these acts as selfish, egotistical and potentially dangerous for the team. Unlike the West, where each employee may have a separate cubicle, you'll hardly see an office like that in Japan. The open layouts allows for collaboration not only within each team, but also across different sectors as well. Everyone works in the same room, creating a natural sense of belonging with the work environment. Now let's introduce the second point, indirect communication style. I need to admit that as a Latina living in Japan, sometimes I feel like I am living in this parallel dimension where the majority of people are shy and introverts. Coming from an extrovert country where people are not ashamed to dance in public, give public displays of affection, be very expressive with their body language and speak their minds. I will say that the way people behave in Japan is the opposite. They are very calm, polite, quiet, respectful, distant, and it takes time for them to open up. 
This is why Ageable had to say about Japanese people's indirect communication style. Japanese people have different ways of communicating their thoughts and ideas. Unlike Japanese, English speakers are usually low context communicators. Normally, Westerns say what they mean without hesitation. Japanese speakers are usually high context communicators. They tend to avoid directly sharing their ideas, especially negative ones. This subtle difference can be hard to pick up and may come off as passive-aggressive behavior if you're not used to it. However, understanding this communication style could mean the difference between success and failure in the workplace. As described by Yoshinobu Takaoka for Ageable.com, Japanese corporate work practices include emphasis on teams rather than individual performances, strict hierarchies and ranks, long working hours, very formal work environment, extremely close attention to detail and quality consciousness, highly process-oriented approach, slow decision-making, meetings, meetings and more meetings, paperwork rules, indirect communication style, politeness and service from the bottom of the heart, and business cards are a must. Regarding the rules I had to follow when working at Japanese companies, here is a list of them. I wasn't allowed to wear perfumes or creams with strong scents, since it could case headaches to kids sensitive to certain smells. I wasn't allowed to wear eye rings or accessories, with the only exception being my wedding ring. I wasn't allowed to paint my nails or have long nails, I wasn't allowed to wear too much makeup, I wasn't allowed to wear outfits that marked my figure or revealed the skin, I wasn't allowed to chew gum or be seen by students eating sweets or snacks since as a teacher I was supposed to promote a healthy lifestyle, I wasn't allowed to contact any workmates outside of work or exchange my phone or private email with them. I was only allowed to wear white face masks, however, I ignored this rule. So in Japan you take your shoes off to come inside a place, so I wasn't allowed to wear socks with specific characters or anything that would be brainwashing the brain of kids into buying or consuming a product of a certain cartoon. I wasn't allowed to dye my hair, and when I was working at the high school, there was this ridiculous rule that was that if I had long hair, I couldn't cut it really short because it would distract students since they would only be talking about my hairstyle. I am sure there were more ridiculous and crazy rules, but right now I can't really remember all of them. This doesn't mean that all foreigners follow such rules. My Indian colleague had long nails and painted her nails in strong colors. She also wore a lot of perfume, but working at the nursery is where I felt more restricted. I felt like my true self was being hidden from the world, and I didn't like that. I had to always tie my hair up and blend in with the rest, and I hated that. I have always loved to express my individuality through my clothes, my makeup, my hair, and accessories. Until now, all of the time that I have worked for a Japanese company, I felt like I was put inside a box. 
The reality is that as a foreigner, it's very difficult to reach a high rank in a Japanese company. At least you speak fluently Japanese. But also being a woman in the workplace is even more difficult. The first question that the interviewer asked me at my last job was, are you planning to become a mother soon? With a clearly concerned look on his face. As I explained before, Japanese work culture is very intense and the companies love to keep their employees busy. Anyone who takes time off or stops sacrificing themselves as much as the rest of the team is perceived negatively. In my opinion, it's very difficult for a foreigner to develop a successful, high-position career in Japan with limited Japanese and only relying on English. However, I also want to highlight that I used my privilege as a foreigner to arrive and leave to work on time. I also used my foreign privilege to take active breaks during the day, which means taking only five minutes to go to my locker and drink some water and properly rest the 60 minutes that lasted my lunch break. Which again was unusual because people eat very fast and then they keep working. Work culture in Japan is a very extensive topic and I would love to talk about other aspects of my experience working for Japanese companies in the future. To end this episode on a positive note, I would like to read Yoshinobu Takaoka's optimist conclusion regarding this topic. To Western people, many things about Japan's work culture seem strange initially. Adapting to a new work environment and understanding the culture can be challenging. However, getting to know the people you work with, communicating and contributing to the common cause are essential. After all, the first step towards teamwork is knowing and understanding others around you and adapting to their differences. Staying with one organization for long or changing companies is a personal choice. However, in the end, enjoying what we do usually leads to higher productivity and it's a win-win situation for all involved. Moreover, understanding and adapting to the Japanese work culture to integrate is the first step to succeeding in Japan. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about my experience visiting a women's clinic in Tokyo and why modern contraceptive methods are not widely used in Japan. To my surprise, there are no articles or studies, at least in English, about how sexist are women's clinics in Japan. I felt very uncomfortable with the way these clinics operate and the way everything is pink, including the toilet paper. This sexist approach to femininity makes me nauseous. You'll be surprised to discover that Japan took 40 years to approve oral contraceptives. We'll be discussing in depth this topic on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to Portraits of Life in Japan. Subscribe to Portraits of Life in Japan to get noticed when I post a new episode. If you want to propose new topics, you can leave a review over on Podchaser. You can go to podchaser.com, search Portraits of Life in Japan and leave your review there. It helps the show to get discovered and it helps me to promote the podcast. Remember, being true to ourselves is our greatest strength. See you next time.